sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today is on the air. Certainly, there's a lot of things going on around the world. We're focused in on sports, fantasy sports, sports wagering, and everything that really piques the sports interest fan. So forget about all the distractions. Sit back and relax. Watch with us over the next two hours. We think we've got an NFL game tonight. We're pretty sure about it, but even if we don't, we'll talk about something else. That's what we do here on the show. Craig Miss, Joe Pizzapia. It may not be this day in fantasy sports history. It may not be old events that I've gone to or things that Joe has done in the past, like, you know, sword fighting or anything like that or acting. But we'll get through it together. Two hours preparing for a game we believe is going to go off on Thursday night. If not, we'll just have to focus on Wyoming's game in college football against Colorado State. So, Joe, I think that's a good place to start today. <laughs> Wyoming. It seems like a lovely place to start. You always see these pictures of Wyoming, and it's just so vast and beautiful. But look, Good everybody could use. Team, I know. Well, look, everybody could use two hours of a little bit of a respite, and I think we could give that to everybody right now. Two hours of fantasy right now is exactly what most people need because reality can be a little harsh sometimes. So let's have some fun here for the next two hours. Let's talk whatever football there may or may not be tonight, may or may not be Sunday, because we can. That's right, because we can. And I'm Joe P's of P and I approve this message. All right, so here we go. Let's get to our headlines for today on this Thursday, the 5th of November. The Lions may be without Matthew Stafford on Sunday. We don't know for sure. The line is still up, by the way, on the board. Uh, Four-and-a-half-point favorite, I believe, is Minnesota, as he's on the COVID list for the second time. Remember, he had a a, a COVID test that was, uh, that was positive, but it was a false positive, and then he ended up being able to play. So for now, we're not worried. Uh, NFL says Packers and 49ers going to play tonight, and uh, this is one that we got to circle for the 2020 football season because one of two things is going to happen. Forget about the game at this point, okay? We don't know what will happen, outcome of the game. The line 7.5 will break it all down. But either this game is going to be played and set the benchmark for the rest of the NFL season that you can play through games with COVID, or the NFL is about to destroy the NFL season tonight. One of the two things is going to happen. I'm looking forward to see which one it ends up being. If they play through it, nothing ends up happening great. If they flew all these dudes on the plane and everybody starts getting sick after this, they've just crushed us. So I'm going to hope for the best, but maybe this is the big litmus test for 2020. We'll see. NBA likely to start. December the 22nd, we'll be talking about that in a couple of months. Excited to have that, as well as college basketball starting in just three weeks. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., some pictures floating around of him yesterday, losing a lot of weight, 32 pounds reportedly mm. since September. That needed to happen, so good news for him. And one of the all-time great NASCAR drivers, Jimmy Johnson, is set to race for the final time this Sunday, he announced, in Phoenix. And, of course, he'll still race, just not regularly and Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, uh, in that era, Mark Martin, some of the great racers, Dale Jarrett of uh, of all time. But, Joe, I really think that's where we're at with this game tonight here. I, I think it's it's not so much about the game as getting through it and seeing what happens after. We've eliminated so many fantasy ramifications from this game tonight, from the quarterback on San Francisco to three running backs on San Francisco to two wide receivers and a tight end to running backs on Green Bay. I mean, there will be some fantasy involved in the game tonight, no doubt. But I think reality is really the key here because 
look, I understand the NFL is probably just at the point at this point where they're going to try and play through it and see if this is it. You could play through COVID testing. Maybe you can. But if they don't and they fail, I am very worried about what's to come here. So we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, what could potentially be to come is the same thing that happened in Major League Baseball, where some teams might have to take a little bit of extra time and a little bit of uh, rescheduling might have to happen here. And an extra week of regular season football, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't really make much of a difference, right? Especially with so little crowds in certain places, too. It's not like we're going to have a giant crowd at the Super Bowl this year. I can't imagine that necessarily being the case. But who knows where everything's going with all of that. I, I think right now, at least you have a little bit of play with the schedule. And, and I think the NFL recognizes that. I don't know if this is a good decision. None of us are going to know until afterwards. So we'll see if Captain Hindsight can make an appearance here in a few weeks on the show and let us know how things are going. I know he's very busy with his schedule, but maybe we can get him on there. Uh, you know, one other baseball note here, just just for a moment, if we may, because we are fantasy sports today, after all. Sure. The Vladimir Guerrero thing is an interesting development to me because I always feel like, and, and I always say this I'm in the wrestling world, I say it in the sports world too, it's one thing to work big. It's another thing to work heavy. And Vladimir Guerrero was heavy, I think, especially this year. And I think this is very important here. I'm sure people got in his ear about it. I'm sure there's a lot of people have been saying it for a while to him. And it's okay to be a big guy in baseball or big guy in sports. It's okay. But heavy is different. And heavy tends to lean towards a little bit more injuries and some other issues there. And I think, especially over 162 game season, this is really good that he's doing it this early. I mean, this is a we are way away from a baseball season right now. And I think in terms of anybody that's got him in a dynasty league, I think you're very happy about this news. And I'm not saying it automatically makes him a better player, but I think it might make him a more reliable source at the very least at this age. And I don't think you want to see a player this young working heavy. Yeah. And I think this is at least a good trend that we're not even at Thanksgiving and the dude is already addressing this. And I think that's a very positive thing they're going forward. What do you think about that? Hopefully, hopefully so. Look, a couple of players. Alvarez on Houston is a big guy, can't play the field, is already destined to be a DH. We saw a big guy play first base for the Rays in G-Man Choi, and he's considered a pretty good defender. I think that is the issue with Vladimir Guerrero. Is he going to be pigeonholed here and only be a designated hitter for the rest of his career? He's only two years in. He did not play a good first base this year, Joe. Saw him play in many games. Didn't do a good job picking up the ball off the ground. And, and again, he didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this. Uh, I think he is going to be a DH regardless of this. But hopefully the weight keeps him on the field more because he was – he did not look good. Physically, he did not look good uh, on the field at all this year. And by the way, his bat wasn't great either. So hopefully this is a start of good things to come. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today. Make sure you stay tuned. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Coming up a little bit later, we'll play as the wrong team favored, go through some of the lines in the NFL this weekend and determine if the right team is favored or the wrong team is favored. All of our lines, of course, courtesy of the FanDuel Sportsbook. Head on over there if you want to place a bet this weekend and you can do it legally. I know that there's going to be a lot of new states that are going to have FanDuel open for betting as well. This is Fantasy Sports Today. I'm Craig Miss. Joe Pizapia, of course, here with me for two hours every single day. Coming up, Andrew Erickson will also dive into more of the fantasy landscape in this very confusing week of the NFL. Tough, tough week for a lot of people. 
and, and a big week for a lot of people, too, to kind of get over the hump with only a few weeks left of the regular season in fantasy football. Well, one of the matchups this weekend, and I don't, I don't think you'll see both of these quarterbacks starting in fantasy, but certainly maybe in DFS or Superflex Leagues, is two guys, essentially, Joe, that fought it out for the Heisman Trophy in 2018 and Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa. And a lot of people forget that Tua came back in 2019 to play with Alabama. His best season in college was 2018. So, um, you know, before we dive into specifically the conversation about both of these two players, I wanted to show people that just how close these guys were for the Heisman in 2018. Kyler threw for 21.67. Tua threw for 18.71. Remember, Tua came out of the game late in 2019. He would have had probably 2,000 yards. Jalen Hurts came in uh, late, late in the championship game in 18. Uh, 42 touchdowns for Kyler Murray. 43 touchdowns for Tua. 43.61 uh, in terms of yards for uh, for Kyler. And 39.66 for Tua. By the way, those numbers above were the vote. 21.67 for the Heisman. 1871 uh, for Tua. A lot of people thought, Joe, at that time that Tua potentially was even maybe more deserving than Kyler Murray of winning the Heisman. And so much so that Tua loved playing football at Alabama. You don't see it very often. Uh, it, it happened with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence uh, back for another year at Clemson. But Tua loved playing there. It ended up costing him almost half the season. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks feel it ended up costing him the first overall pick in the draft. In 2018, Murray was the first pick. We saw what he did last year, and now these two players, Joe, are going to face off against each other this weekend. Yeah, very exciting for sure. And and when you think about it too, that you know a lot of people are talking about, well, Trevor Lawrence, maybe he should go back, so he doesn't have to go play. What are you crazy? Why would you go back? Look at what happened to it last year potentially, where his career was hanging on by a thread because of that injury at the time. So Trevor Lawrence is going into the draft next year. I don't care if it's the Jets who are the number one pick. I don't care whoever it is. There he's going to be there. And when you go back and you think about these two careers, they were both prolific there. And sometimes I guess when you play for the juggernaut team like Alabama, sometimes people have that perspective of, well, you know, you've got so much around you. It's so much easier. Not that, you know, Murray was playing in a <laughs> in a podunk uh, situation organization either in school either. But I, I would say that both of these guys have a bright future in the NFL. And I know we're very early in the two a process here, but seeing what I saw out of him in college in Alabama, I mean, it's hard not to be impressed with this guy. And I think we all have to give him a little bit of a learning curve here because he hasn't gotten the reps. He hasn't been able to be on the field as much. It hasn't been a normal process. Kyler Murray had a normal process transitioning from college to the NFL over the last year and change. Tua's has been anything but between the injury and between what happened in COVID. It has been extraordinarily different. So anyone in a dynasty league that is souring on Tua, let's say he doesn't have a good game here against uh, Arizona this week, or maybe he doesn't look great in the next couple weeks, I would absolutely be pouncing on him long-term because still long-term, the upside of this guy is absolutely in that same conversation as Kyler Murray. And those stats that you threw out there for the Heisman a few years ago really proved that out. Yeah, and I and I think that Tua's potential is off the charts, as good or better than Kyler Murray. First start in the NFL is not going to be easy. And by the way, even though the Rams' defense didn't play stellar against Miami, they do have a pretty good defense, too. And so does Arizona this week. So I think that's a fair mm -hmm. point. Even if he struggles this week, I wouldn't make too much of it. Uh, Tua, of course, is going to get a chance to face off with the guy that he sat next to in the Heisman room when they ended up giving it to Kyler Murray. And he talked about their relationship and just what he thinks about going up against his former foe. I'm very excited to go up against him. I would say first impressions when I, when I met him, he's, 
you know, he's pretty jacked up, you know, for, for as, you know, short as he is, he's, he's, I mean, this guy's rocked up, um, but he, he's very competitive. Um, you know, he's very personable too. I got to meet his parents as well at the Heisman ceremony, very good family. Um, you know, but against going against guys like that who are very competitive and you know, you're going to get their best. Um, I, I think that's going to be a fun one. He's very jacked up, Joe. You heard it right there from Tua. So hopefully <sighs> little guys get jacked up because we're little sometimes. So we have to make sure that people don't mess with us. That's what happens. So Kyler Murray and I, we, we understand how, what that's like. You and Kyler Murray. <laughs> Listen, when I, when I picture the two of you together. That's exactly oh, what I was thinking. Totally hit the gym in the same way. Totally. Exactly yeah, we both same. got that Chuck Norris thing going. We got that, uh, you know, <laughs> we got the shake weight. We got all that stuff at the house, me and Kyler. But you know what, Craig, you know, all joking aside here, what an incredible young man Tua seems like. I mean, when you just listen to the man talk, and it's hard not to imagine this guy being a prolific leader in the NFL. And, I, and I'm just super hopeful. I'm very excited to watch him again this weekend. But I'm just super hopeful that he stays healthy here in the NFL because it feels like the sky's the limit. It feels like he is such an incredible face, not only for the organization, but one of the great faces potentially for the NFL. Like, let's talk a big picture here. When you listen to Tua, when you listen to Kyler Murray, when you watch these guys potentially on the field, it's hard not to get excited about the future of the NFL right now. And I think that is, that's great. And then 2020 has been tough, but I think the future is very bright here, not just for next year, but in the next five years potentially too. Yeah, Tua is a really good interview and, and his interviews are very mm -hmm. solid each and every week. It's not to say that Kyler Murray's are not, but he's you know simply not as talkative as, uh, as Tua. Yeah. So look, Tua has that potential. He's got that chance. Uh, look, there, there's also a little bit about Tua that is sort of a look at me type guy. Uh, you know, he went back on the field for himself. I know I, all the stories are really nice, but make no mistake about it. He and his family have a little bit of an ego there. There's no doubt. So don't don't ignore that. Also, moving forward for him, he knows who he is. <laughs> Let's put it that way. There's a reason why he chose to wear number one on the back of his jersey. OK, mm. there, are, there are some similarities there with him and and definitely with Kyler. Uh, okay, now let's take a look real quick. Speaking of Heisman's, by the way, the Heisman Trophy winner before Kyler Murray at Oklahoma was Baker Mayfield, right? At Oklahoma yep. too. So mm -hmm. look at that one. All right, uh, let's take a look at 2020. Now, this is a very weird year for the Heisman Trophy, and I don't think I'm willing to give Justin Fields the Heisman Trophy Award after playing one game, but he is the favorite right now <laughs> uh, to win the Heisman. Trevor Lawrence was the favorite and had been the favorite up until the COVID stuff, and and, and I still think that that's probably where the value lies. Now, remember, they're going to vote on this before they play in the playoff. So big circle on that. That's important. It's a three-man race, but since I went to Florida, I included Kyle Trask here as the fourth. And, and look, maybe the Gators go out. Well, maybe the Gators go out and roll Georgia this week, and then he moves up to like 15-1. to one. But realistically speaking, it's these three. Fields, without a doubt, has a shot. Long way to go here. Long way. One game. Long way to go for him. Mac Jones of Alabama has played as well or better than any quarterback in college football. He definitely needs to be in the conversation, and they're undefeated as well. And then, of course, Trevor Lawrence has now fallen a bit back. And simply put, FanDuel's got to make odds, Joe, that factor in this COVID, okay? Like, it's got to right. be. I mean, we assume that Trevor Lawrence will be healthy. We assume he's going to play, and everything is going to be fine. But I, that's a big reason why he's not the favorite anymore and why he's a little bit more of an underdog at plus 200. So uh, Clemson's schedule is very favorable. They're not going to play anyone from now until the end of the season. The ACC is very weak. Uh, but Mac Jones, at this point, with him being plus 150, to me, 
that's the way that I would lean if Alabama runs the table. I think he's going to end up winning the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, it would seem that. And whenever you miss time in a shortened season, too, even Lawrence missing this one game this week against Notre Dame, I don't know how that really factors into the equation. In fact, I'm actually a little surprised that the number's only 200 because of that. Because when you don't have as many games as you normally do and you're missing a game, Craig, does that really factor into you? I mean, does that make Trevor Lawrence more of an interesting wager? Because, hey, he could still rack up the amount of, of stats anyway because he's Trevor Lawrence and the system they play in and everything going on there and all the talent around him. Or... Is he a bad wager because he's missing a game? And really, games are everything right now and being able to be on the field in front of those voters. Yeah, he's he's going to miss two games. He missed last week right. and he'll miss two. this week. So, so his stats are not going to be what Mac Jones's are. But I guess the thought process here is that Fields' talent could be better than all four of these guys. And mm-hmm. statistically speaking, may put up the best rushing slash passing numbers in the short season that Ohio State plays, maybe that's the reason why. But for me, it's Mac Jones at this point. They go undefeated. He keeps doing what he does. He's the Heisman Trophy winner. Chris has the update next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today with you here on Sports Grid. we got games coming up. Of course, we'll break down tonight's game in just a little bit. But always on Thursday, we try to play a little game of is the wrong team favored in the NFL. And circling back to last week, it looked like there were a couple of teams that were wrongly favored. But in the end, you got to kind of dive into the line. Why is the line what it is? And so that's what we're here for uh, you guys to do here on the show. And so... Let's dive into, looks like four games here today where the lines are close. Of course, we're not going to argue that Pittsburgh deserves to be favored against Dallas. <laughs> we're not going to argue that Patriots deserve to be favored, of course, against the Jets. Like There are just some games that are not, but there are also some games that you can make the case for the other way. So uh, let's take a look at it and start off with our first one here. Early game on Sunday, the Baltimore Ravens minus two and a half at the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, For the Ravens at this point, a down week last week against Pittsburgh for sure, a game where they were lightly favored, and they they deserve to be favored in that one. It's just Pittsburgh got them in the end, no doubt, and Mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of an overreaction here in a normal situation. Maybe Baltimore, if they don't lose last week, they open up as four-point favorites, five-point favorites, but honestly, the Colts look really good at Detroit. They look good on offense, defense, and special teams. But the trust factor, as you can see by the line, is still not with Phillip Rivers. So we'll start off with this one, Joe. Ravens <laughs> minus two and a half at the Colts. Is the wrong team favored here? Maybe Baltimore should be more. Should they be less? What do you think? Well, it's tricky because the Indianapolis Colts last two weeks played the Cincinnati Bengals, and they won that football game. Uh, not a great football team all the way around. I think we'd all agree on that. And then they played Detroit. And we all know Detroit has a lot of issues, and Kenny Galladay left that game. So... It's tough because you have Leonard come back. You have a really good defense here. Obviously, the Baltimore defense is very formidable, too. So for me, when I'm looking at two formidable defenses, for me, always tie goes to the running game. And right now, I have no idea what the Colts running game is. They're saying that Jonathan Taylor was dealing with an ankle issue or something like that. And that's why all of a sudden Jordan Wilkins was the pivot. I don't know if I'm buying that. It seems like a little bit of a smokescreen kind of thing to me where they throw up these injuries once in a while on certain guys who aren't doing well, especially rookies. We see that happen from time to time. 
So I think there's a little uncertainty and I don't know if Philip Rivers is automatically fixed just because of the team he played the last two weeks. And I think the right team is favored. It should be Baltimore. And I expect them in this trend here with JK Dobbins. And I'm going to ask Andrew about this in the upcoming segment here, what he thinks about what he saw last week out of both of these backfields. And he's got some great insight there, but I think that JK Dobbins, hopefully and Gus Edwards will be able to push that narrative forward. So I think the right team is favored here. And I think Baltimore wins, but I got to be honest with you, Craig, if I'm Baltimore, after that game last week against Pittsburgh, I wish there was like a, a smash game on this schedule. I wish there was a Cincinnati. Like, I don't really want to go to Indianapolis the way that defense the week after playing Pittsburgh. I think that's tough, I think, mentally for them a little bit. What do you think? Do you think the right team is favored here? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that you have to make Baltimore favored. The, the Colts really haven't proven to this point outside of some pretty soft wins, I think that they deserve anything more to be like an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven type team, this would be a big win for them. And, and by the way, not impossible if they were to win because of the, all the injuries that the Ravens do have. Uh, so I'm going to say right team is favored here as well. I'm going to agree with that. Not that I have a lean on this one yet, but I do think that it's a fair line. I, I think the Ravens could be 2.5. They could also be 3. Any more than that, and I would start leaning Colts if you're giving me 3.5 or 4 as a home underdog. One thing but to keep I, I in mind on that game, too, which, excuse me, but one thing to keep in mind, too, was that Marlon Humphrey thing, too, and the contact tracing there this week, too. If for some reason Baltimore starts losing guys out of that defense, keep an eye on this line if it changes because that's something that could happen in the next 24 hours, 48 hours. So just keep that in the back of your head, everybody, and wait before you go making any choices in this game as the as the weekend unfolds. Yeah. All right, let's go on to the division battle between the Giants and Washington football team. Washington is minus three. Teams have been excellent off a bye, and that's why Washington is minus three in this game because the last two times these two teams played, the Giants were favored, and ironically, they didn't cover. So, I mean, the Giants have been fantastic against the spread, but when it comes to these two teams, they play very close. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll, I'll start off with this one. I do think the right team is favored. You have to make uh, any team that's playing against the Giants at home a favorite, okay? It, yes. it doesn't matter what their record is against the spread. The Giants are not good. The question is, are you giving the Giants too many points? It's only three, but are you giving them too many points? And it's one of those, honestly, where – I definitely could see Washington winning the game, and I definitely could see them covering, but who am I to go against the Giants? They cover every week, so maybe this is 2019, 21-20. So my lean is on the Giants, but I have to say the right team is favored. You you can't make the Giants a favorite over, over any team on the road, so I, I think this is exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, we're in lockstep on this one, too. I, I kind of lean the Giants. Anytime the Giants have to cover, they, they certainly give it the old college try, and Washington is not the kind of offense that really can blow the doors off people. Now, that being said, they blew the doors off the Cowboys a couple weeks ago, but then again, everybody's doing that, so it's kind of tough to gauge. But it feels like at least, yes, the right team should be favored here. Coming off the bye, Washington and the Giants were very close last time. I think this is going to be like a point kind of a game, too. It feels like that. It would not shock me if the Giants won this football game. Uh, but Washington really could – I mean, if Washington wins this game, they are right in that conversation now because they have a win over the Eagles, and then they would have uh, another situation here where they were then split that game with the Giants. So all of a sudden, they are really in that conversation for the East. So it's a really big opportunity here for Washington. I expect them to win, but – Man, the Giants are tough, man. They always compete, no matter what happens the week before, no matter how close and they fall short. They show up the next week. 
All right, Seattle at Buffalo, and this is a cross-country trip, of course, for the Seahawks, where in general it doesn't go very well when teams travel coast-to-coast. Just ask the Rams last week. Seattle's minus three at the Buffalo Bills. I don't know what's going on with the Bills defensively. They've really struggled. I thought New England tore them apart for the most part last week, and then here we are with Russell Wilson again. Um, Seattle's only three. And so there's going to be a ton of temptation on the Seattle mm-hmm. side this week. And I don't know if that's the right side here. I've basically quit going against Russell Wilson, but it wouldn't <laughs> shock me at all because this is a fantastic spot for the Bills. It really is. Playing at home, team has to travel. Uh, sort of a short week a little bit for Seattle too. So it, it, this is a very tough one for me, honestly. I, I do think that Seattle is favored a little bit too much in this one because – Teams keep taking Seattle. Seattle keeps winning and covering for the most part. Right. So oof, tough one. Tough one for me to call. But I'm nervous about Buffalo's defense. I'm not really sure what's going on with them. I think it should be. I think it's encouraging to see what they did on the ground last week with Moss and Singletary both having over 80 yards. Uh, I think that is something that's been desperately needed. And I think that's also put the defense behind a little bit this year, that inability to run the football and the defense has been out there quite a bit of time. So even when the Bills score, they score quick. And sometimes that puts a lot of pressure on the defense and uh, time of possession does matter <laughs> to a certain extent. I'll say this. If Seattle hadn't lost that game in overtime a couple weeks ago to the Cardinals, I think this would be an absolutely huge trap here, without a doubt, because I think the number might even be bigger, and I think Buffalo would be ready and poised to at least cover that number. But because they lost a couple weeks ago, I think that was the wake-up call game that you have sometimes on the road where you go, okay, we should be able to beat this team, and then they just refuse to die and they take you to overtime. I think sometimes you have that. Plus, Jamal Adams is returning in this game, too. That is a big addition here for Seattle. So I think the right team is favored here, and I'm actually more confident in Seattle than you are going into this week in Buffalo. Very tough game for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, the final game is the bizarre one of the week. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. There we go. The Raiders are playing the Chargers, okay? And and it was it's pick them in the Super Contest. But right now, mm-hmm. the line has moved Chargers minus one. You see one and a half here. It's The line moved back to one. Uh, maybe it was one and a half at one point, but it's Chargers minus one. So wrap your wrap your head around this one. The Chargers go to Denver last week. I'm not saying Denver is good, but they go to Denver on the road. They're three and a half point favorites. They lose in the last second of the game. They come back home and they're basically a pick them against a team in the Raiders that, uh, yeah, they're probably better than Denver, but not by a lot. Like, you know, they're a little bit better than Denver. Yeah, they are. Wow. This one blows my mind. From one week to the next, it it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. You make the Chargers almost four-point favorites on the road in a tough place to play, and then they come back where they're comfortable at home, and they go against the Raiders. There's no fans. You can't use the, oh, all the Raiders fans are going to go to the Chargers game because that's not happening. So I am out on this game. I have no idea why the line is one and a half. Uh, it seemed this seems like a huge trap to taking the Raiders here. It does. It feels like a huge trap and that the Chargers are just going to come and blow the Raiders out. I, I don't know. I, I don't know on this game. Don't get the line. So don't understand. It feels like you're running away, screaming and yelling from this one, which is great. I, I'll take a stance on this. I'll plant a flag. Let's have some fun. 
Um, look, the Chargers have done a really good job this year against the run. They've allowed only one rushing touchdown this year, if you can believe it, to running back. Now, they haven't faced all the greatest running backs in the world either, necessarily, on this schedule, depending on what time they've hit certain teams. However, you know, you have to respect that. Uh, Josh Jacobs certainly got a lot of workload last week. He's looking healthier than he was a few weeks ago in the season, so that is a positive thing. If they're going to hand the ball to him a bunch and they can get going that way, Again, you can't take much out of last week because that game against the Browns was bizarre with all that weather. But this is a game right here. This is your moment once again if you're the Raiders, where this time last year you were relevant. This time last year you had a path to the playoffs. And these are the kind of games that they lost. Now, I want to see if this is a different Raider team this week. And I want to see this year if this is a Raider team that recognizes, hey, these are the games of the schedule we have to win in order to be in this conversation. And the inability of the Chargers to close, it feels like it becomes a trend to me. And, and I'm going to go fall into the trap, and maybe I'm stupid, but I'm leaning towards the Raiders in this one, Craig. I think the wrong team is favored here. I think the Raiders are going to go out there, run the football, take care of their business, and I think they will eke out a victory because the Chargers will be competitive. But in the end, I think mentally they always feel like, oh, we have a lead. It's almost like the Detroit thing. Every time they have a lead, it just kind of disintegrates in front of their hands. And the next thing you know, boom, uh, the game's over. Yeah, I, I really, I don't see it that way at all. I just don't have a strong opinion here on the game. The other thing, too, is think about this from the Chargers' perspective. If the line was correct last week, and let's say Denver was a three-point favorite at home against the Chargers, guess who covered the spread last week? No matter what, it was still the Chargers. Chargers. Right. So it's it's just a very, very tough one for me on this. Uh, Andrew Erickson is going to join us next. He'll have better answers than me. Stay tuned. <laughs> SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Fantasy Sports Today right here. And it's Thursday. You know what that means. It's time for a little past present and future with our good friend from pro football focus the one the only andrew erickson andrew it was a wacky week eight my friend in the nfl hopefully there's some things we could take away from a fantasy perspective and move on from in certain ways in the good ways and maybe move on from in the positive ways i'm gonna try to be positive as much as i can but it was kind of a brutal week eight don't you think yeah i mean a lot of disappointments a lot of weather you know making impacts on games and I think that just kind of goes to the point where if you're you're on the edge about a start sit decision, hey, those dome games, man, you can get a team playing in a dome. I mean, you're usually going to see more points. So lean towards those. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start talking about a running back situation that this past week looked very interesting to me. And it was going on with the Atlanta Falcons in the Thursday game. They got a little bit more rest here. And I know I got to watch all four quarters of this one straight through. And it's no surprise that Todd Gurley doesn't have the same burst that he used to. But it seemed like Brian Hill was getting a lot more play in that game. And I'm starting to wonder if he is a guy that maybe in the second half, at least in PPR leagues, might become a potential flex league option. Because in that flex spot, I'm starting to wonder, like, is he maybe going to get the touchdowns? Because that's what Todd Gurley always does. He always gets the TD, kind of falls into the end zone. But at the same time, is Brian Hill in a spot where he might get more usage in this offense? Because, look, let's face it, he seems like the more dynamic back at this point. 
Yeah, Todd Gurley's never one to, you know, we're not going to be looking at him as a guy, oh, you're going to want him down the stretch. I mean, he had his stretch of games. You know, he had all the favorable matchups. He had the Carolina Panthers twice. And now looking at the head schedule, he's got Denver. They've got a good run defense. they got to play the Saints multiple times. You know, they have good run defense as well. So his matchups are getting much tougher. He's had the really easy ones. And basically right now you want to try to sell high on Todd Gurley that you can. And like you mentioned, Brian Hill did look good. Brian Hill's looked pretty good on all of his touches so far this year. But the one thing I will say is I think that in this particular game, I think it was by design. You know, Todd Gurley was on the sideline kind of like looking around like he wasn't. It was definitely by design. It wasn't like, oh, my knee's like on fire right now. It's inflamed. Like, please help me. And I think that has to do with the fact that they were playing on a short week and they knew, okay, we're playing on a Thursday. You know, we can't give him the same type Mm -hmm. of workload. Um, So I think it was a little bit more of a design. I would expect his workload to be pretty similar to what we've seen throughout the year, which also means, you know, he's not really involved in the passing game. But like I mentioned before, the matchups going forward are not there. They're, they're much worse. So again, if you can trade high on Todd Gurley, that's what I would do. And I love stashing Brian Hill to the end of my roster, whether it's because he can, you know, offer PPR upside or the fact that something does happen to Gurley, which is not out of the range of outcomes, right. Brian Hill would be, you know, an RB1 for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's a good point, though. So even though it's probably, probably a matchup thing for a Thursday where he got so much play, there's still potential there the rest of the season for enough. Enough is certainly in this season to warrant some fantasy attention. Let's talk about J.K. Dobbins, too, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. Dobbins out of the break right here, out of that bye, got a lot of opportunity, and he looked pretty good doing it. Now, Gus Edwards had his as well. Mark Ingram's been hurt and has been a disappointment even when he was healthy enough to be on the field. So is this a trend with J.K. Dobbins? Are we starting to feel good about starting him, or is this another weird one-off here? And it's very difficult to understand, but if you look back to last year, I know a lot of the rookie running backs really did better in the second half than the first. Is Dobbins going to be the next guy to kind of keep that trend going? I think that people are afraid to buy into Dobbins because we've been burned so many times by a similar rookie running back in Detroit. You know, we've got DeAndre Swift. He's got the juice, man, but they keep giving the ball to Adrian Peterson. But you need to look at those coaching staffs, total polar opposites of each other. The Lions, they just want to establish their run. They want to do this and that. The Ravens are an analytics-driven organization. They know what makes points go up on the scoreboard and they're going to look at everything and be like, wow, you know, how much more efficient is our offense when we have JK Dobbins Dobbins rushed for over a hundred yards against the freaking Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody can do that. And he and Gus Edwards almost both did it in the same game. So for me, you know, you look at Dobbins, he's actually leads the league this year, 33% missed tackle rate. That's Mm. number one in the NFL. So almost every three times a guy's trying to tackle him, he makes a guy miss on, on a per touch basis. So that's Awesome usage. So I think that Dobbins is someone that you can probably trust going forward. Mark Ingram at this point, again, this season has not been kind to anyone over the age of 30, not named Adam Thielen or, you know, if you're a quarterback, pretty much. Mm. And I just think that this is probably going to be the end of Mark Ingram. I don't think they're going to go back to him. I think it's going to be Edwards and Dobbins and moving forward. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. And it's a great point there. Great stat also about the broken tackles, too. That's something to really keep in mind going forward. And speaking of rookie running backs, we might as well talk about. Maybe the most frustrating one in week eight, and it's got to be Jonathan Taylor. He had a couple carries, and then all of a sudden, it's Jordan Wilkins getting 10, uh, 20. What am I saying? Not even 10, 20 carries. I almost can't say it because there's so much passion and anger behind the fact that Jordan Wilkins got 20 carries. Naheem Hines is running a muck all over the place. So what do we do now? I'm sure Jonathan Taylor owners are looking at themselves going, how do I go forward feeling good about starting this guy? Is this just another one-off? 
Or is this what they're going to do? Because clearly it's working. They're getting W's. They're scoring points here. But do you think Jonathan Taylor in the second half is going to be a fade or a guy that's going to overcome this, what looks like a, a bit of a pivot in terms of where the volume's going in this backfield? Well, I think that the important thing to note about Jonathan Taylor is they do still have to play the Steelers. They play the Steelers week 16. So okay. that's the championship. So I have no problem if you want to ship off Jonathan Taylor. Again, a lot of their upcoming matchups are pretty good. But now we're seeing, you know, this is the first time Jordan Wilkins has like worked in. You know, he's also been banged up as well. So some of those games that Jonathan Taylor's had much higher volume came in games when Jordan Wilkins was either inactive or not playing. But we're going to have to accept the fact that this is a three three headed committee and Jonathan Taylor has not shown us at this point that he is good enough to deliver on anything but 20 touches a game. Like he's not delivering those splash plays and look, he's a rookie. Okay. This doesn't mean that he's going to be terrible for the rest of his career. He can't do anything, but you know, I think that we all got carried away watching him at Wisconsin and how great he was. And we kind of put him on this pedestal and he's going to be the RB that leads you to the championship. And I just think that's not the case anymore. And that doesn't mean he can't be serviceable. It doesn't mean he can't be an R. I mean, that's what he's been. He's been an RB too. Again, I still think he probably offers more upside than a David Montgomery just because we know what he can do. But up to this point, he hasn't offered any of those you know, big plays. All right. So that's in the past. Now that's week eight. But give me a present right now. Rank the three rookie running backs that we've just been talking about and mentioning. Dobbins. Swift, Taylor, rest of season. How would you want them if you were like trying to angle for a trade or trying to evaluate them? What would be your ranking of those three guys? I would probably go with Dobbins, Taylor, and then Swift. I just still Swift. Can't yeah, because the thing with Swift is just I don't know what the <laughs> I just don't have confidence <laughs> don't that the, the coaching staff <laughs> is going to use in the right way. And I at least know with the other two organizations, I have a little bit more confidence in their offensive coordinators in the play calling. And just the offenses in general, I think, you know, the Colts have a good offensive line. You know, what are the lines? I, mm -hmm. I still don't know. Are they a run team? Are they a pass team? Like, what are they going to do with Galladay now? Are they going to be as efficient? They just have way more, more question marks. And I think that Dobbins has probably the most upside if he, you know, actually actually gets the role. And, and Taylor, you know, he's had the role this whole time and he hasn't done anything with it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, without Galladay, you would imagine you want to get more playmakers the ball. So maybe DeAndre Swift should get a little bit more action. But like you said, the coaching staff doesn't always seem to make the right decisions. All right, let's do a little future here before we let you go. And let's talk about a huge Sunday night game here. I mean, this is going to have a huge rating. Obviously, you got Brady and Breeze part two. The first game was certainly interesting, but it was week one, which seems like ages ago. And obviously a lot has changed for both of these teams since then. And you've got Antonio Brown on the field. We'll see what happens with Godwin. We're not sure where he's at. So let's start with Antonio Brown. Do you have any expectations at all for him in this game? Let's say you have Antonio Brown, you added him. Would you be starting him or are you just kind of waiting and seeing here at this point? This is not a wait and see situation. You need oh, to start Antonio oh, Brown. Yes, this give me why. Week. Give me why. You need to start. Okay, number one, the matchup is really good. You know, the okay. Saints have been absolutely atrocious against wide receivers this year. They've allowed the most fantasy points to wide receivers over the past four weeks. Marshawn Lattimore, I don't know what happened to the Marshawn Lattimore we used to know, the shutdown corner. You know what? Is, In the second half of last year, Marshawn Lattimore did not have the same goods either. You could see it last year. I don't know if he lost a step either, but it's it's a carryover. I wasn't sure if it was just a one-off or he was hurt last year, but now it's starting to seem like a trend from carrying over from last year. Yeah, so he's struggling. You know, Malcolm Jenkins isn't the same. He's an older player now. He's not the same guy. Janoris Jenkins, since Janoris Jenkins is arguably better than Marshawn Lattimore has been. But again, he still struggles a little bit. He can get beat. And the last time we saw Antonio Brown play as a Pittsburgh Steeler was against the New Orleans Saints. 
He scored two touchdowns, had over 180 <laughs> receiving yards against this defense. So, again, it's the same defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen. Antonio Brown has the opportunity in this mo- in this spot. He's been sharing household, a shower with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's going to absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully not at the same time, although I don't know what goes on at Tom Brady's house. Nobody none of us know. really know. For I sure. don't know. But, I mean, we've seen, we've seen Brady with him just develop this chemistry and that they use him. In part of the game, yeah. we saw, you know, the Buccaneers could use basically target anybody in that last game. We saw it was Jaden Mickens getting targets, you know, who's going to mm-hmm. project that. So, OK, so if, you know, it's not outlandish for me to say, oh, Antonio Brown's going to get targets. You know, we saw Jaden Mickens get targets in a game. We've seen Tyler Johnson pop up and have a big game. You know, these are just random receivers. This is Antonio Brown. So mm-hmm. for me and also you don't know how long this is going to last. You know, you don't know how, you know, they have a bye week coming up pretty soon. Is Antonio Brown going to stay behaved? Like, you have him on your roster. It's a good matchup. I think that's enough to warrant a selection and a spot. Because, again, receiver production is so volatile anyway. You know, he's getting a good matchup. He's a good player. So I think this is a good. And also, Chris Godwin is questionable because they don't know if he can catch a ball. They're right. Not gonna he can tape all his fingers together. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, ugh, what a tough situation they're in right now. And, and, and not to mention the running back situation, which, by the way, if you're keeping score here every week with me and Andrew— this is one for Leonard Fournette. So I don't know. Are we even now? I think it's like five to three. I don't know where we are. It's crazy right now. Uh, Pittsburgh and Dallas. Things are getting weird in Dallas also because they're down to another third string quarterback on the fourth string. I don't even know what's going on there with these guys. Um, give me real quick your take on Dallas and what you can start from that group of guys under this quarterback situation. I know you got to start Zeke. What about the rest of them? And then on the other side, too, are you just all in with every stealer you got, no matter what stealer it is? Because it seems like that's just the way to go whenever you play Dallas. Just uh, any piece that you have against that team, you just put in a lineup or put in a DFS situation. What do you think? So the Steelers defense on DraftKings is the most high priced defense in the history of the website. <laughs> and it's and it still may not be high priced high enough. Like that's like where we're at. I mean, yeah, you gotta start every single Steeler. And again, if you're you pick the guy that just doesn't happen to score, you know, that's just, you know, dumb luck, but they all have such a high opportunity share, like Ebron, all the receivers, Ben Roethlisberger, James Car- like everyone, you gotta play them. But on this cowboy side, I know you mentioned Zeke. Again, you're just hoping that he can, you know, you know, maybe gets 30 carries for three yards, three yards a pop, hits 90 rushing yards, like falls in the end zone, maybe like, I don't know, like that's what you need. And and I would say, I would say Amari Cooper is probably okay too as like a wide receiver two, you know, three option because the Steelers have been kind of liable in the back end. They have given up some big plays because they are so blitz heavy. So if one of the quarterbacks can just get one off quick, you know, Cooper could take like a slant to the house or something like that. But again. And also, you know, it's not Ben DiNucci. So Ben DiNucci, he targeted Gallup 12 times last week. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen again because he's not even right. playing in this game. So I would say Cooper is like a wide receiver 2-3 player. But again, you only play him if you don't really have any other receivers. If you have another receiver in a better match. Like, I would probably play Antonio Brown over Amari Cooper. I like his match. <laughs> oh, I like wow. his match. I like his matchup more. We're so. already here. It's week nine and we're already here. We're going to be playing Antonio Brown over Amari Cooper. And I can't make an argument the other way. I just, I can't do it. You're probably right. All right, real quick. We got time for maybe one more here. Buffalo and Seattle should be a lot of points in this one. One would think all of a sudden Buffalo looked like we're showing a little bit of a running game last week. Stefan Diggs surely in line to have a big game, but is there a secondary wide receiver in this game that you like besides Diggs? Because we know you can throw on Seattle all day long. Is there another guy there for you? Is it Beasley? Is it Brown if he's healthy enough, or is this really just now about them running the football more? 
Yeah, I think I'd probably lean towards John Brown. Again, he ran a full amount of routes last week. He ran the same amount of routes as Stephon Diggs. Again, he's still coming back from that knee injury that's kind of, you know, hampered him a little bit. But when John Brown has been at his best, and when John, Josh Allen has been at his best, those guys have connected yeah. a lot of big plays. So, again, you're going to need the best from Josh Allen in this matchup for them to keep pace with the Seattle Seahawks. So I think this is a good bounce back spot for John Brown. Yeah, uh, look, and also some... Certainly intrigue around the Seattle running backs as well. I don't even know if we have enough information to even get into them. But luckily, we've got enough information for a little fantasy trivia. So we come back. Andrew and I are going to uh, test the knowledge of you and maybe Andrew's as well. So stick around. More Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports Grid right after this. Don't go anywhere. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Fantasy Sports Today. Andrew Erickson from PFF still with us. You can follow Andrew, obviously, on the Twitter machine at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, what are you working on this week for everybody to get their lineups ready? What's the goods? What do you got cooking for us? Yeah, we got a PFF stardom sit So make sure that you start Lamar Jackson this week. Again, people are losing faith. People are freaking oh. out. But you got to start him this week. Come on. Losing faith in Lamar. Come now. We can't do that. All right, uh, let's see how much faith we have in you and your big brain there under that giant hat. All right, fantasy trivia. I know there's been a lot of great wide receiver performances this year, but here's the question for you. Who has the highest fantasy points per game at wide receiver in PPR scoring this year? You want to you wanna take a shot? There's been some great performances, especially lately, but who's been the best when they've been on the field? Maybe that's a little bit of a hint for you. Oh, it's got to be Devontae Adams. That is correct. Oh, what a genius he is. Look at that. Devontae Adams, 27 fantasy points per game. Going out of his mind right now. I mean, certainly he's the only guy there. <laughs> so I guess that helps. But um, certainly uh, Devontae Adams has been brilliant. I'm going to ask this question to you because we've been talking about this on the network on a bunch of different shows. If you had one wide receiver in Dynasty to have the next three years, would you rather have Adams, Hopkins, or would it rather be DK Metcalf considering the quarterback situation and what he's shown you so far this year? I'll be Metcalf. I mean, yes, my I mean, people. I mean, yeah, I look, I like you. look, that that age thing is not overrated. You know, right. we see it a lot of times. Look at all the guys over 30. None of them hey, are producing. At, oh, well, listen, kid. Some of the, us are over 40. So easy. Watch what you the, say. The only I'm one producing. The only one producing is Adam Thielen. And he didn't really start producing at all until a later age anyway. So. There you go. Yeah, I'll go Mecca. Keep the wide receivers young on your team. I, look, I think it's tough to argue, right? I mean, because basically you got DK Metcalf, who looks like, I mean, an absolute matchup disaster. Nobody has an answer for him. And he does have a secondary wide receiver on the team in Lockett. He's got great quarterback play that's not going anywhere. He's got a terrible defense. He keeps giving up points. It seems like the perfect storm. And who knows what Michael Thomas' quarterback situation is going to be next year? Who knows about Julio and Calvin Ridley and those guys? What happens to Matt Ryan? I think there's a lot of questions there. I have no questions about Seattle. I think this is what they are. I think this is who DK Metcalf is. And I'm with Andrew, and I'm glad to hear he's kind of backing this up. You can feel those shares of DK Metcalf get more expensive <laughs> by the minute, and rightfully so. But it's okay. No matter how pricey they are, no matter how high, he can chase them down. And that's what's good. All right. Again, follow Andrew over on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. And check out all his work at profootballfocus.com. We're going to hit a break. Hour two is right around the corner, so don't go anywhere. Craig Mish will be back, and we'll break down everything you need to know. 
for the world of fantasy sports right here on Sports Grid. So get on the grid and stay on it. We'll be right back right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 